We'll be starting there in the first verse. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not the faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service tonight. I pray that you would be glorified and honored. Lord, I pray for your mercy and your grace and your help. Lord, control what I say and how I say it. I pray that your word would strengthen your people. Lord, that it would draw us closer to you. And Lord, that your spirit and your word would have that free course. To work on hearts. Lord, to, to soften what needs softened. To harden what needs hardened. And I pray that you'd have... Uh, your will and way in the service. So please use it. May we leave here different than we came in. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in here who has never truly been born again, who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray that you give clarity of that in their mind, that even this evening they would repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul is coming to the close of this epistle of Second Thessalonians. And as really any good pastor does, he starts off with the word finally, but he goes on for another chapter. So that's usually how that works out. Paul has been encouraging encouraging them with this epistle. He's been trying to help them. As we know that they, they were shaken, they were troubled, they were afraid, they really thought that they'd missed the rapture, that God's judgment was upon them. And of course, none of that was true. We've learned a lot from this epistle. We learned about the Antichrist as the Lord gave us more revelation about things to come in regards to the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We learned about his revealing when that would come. When he goes into that temple and sets himself up as God, and we know exactly when that occurs, three and a half years into the tribulation. That context even helped us establish certain doctrines that we need to know that sometimes are not even correctly taught out of 2 Thessalonians. Paul then goes on, once he was establishing the truth that they had not missed the rapture, that Christ still has not returned yet, he reminds them, as we looked at last week, that you have been chosen for glory. You're not for wrath. You're not appointed unto wrath. That's not what's going to come. He lets them know you've been chosen for glory. And just to think about what we have in coming, that one day we will have a glorified body. I really cannot wait for that. I mean, to get to that, 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 and you could think, it reminds me where the Bible talks about where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Think of how much we're going to have than even Adam had. I mean, that's amazing to think about, and I cannot wait for that time. <clears throat> so we looked at that last week. He instructed them that they're called to stand fast, don't move away from truth, as we're seeing people do so readily today. Just moving away from truth. He reminded them that the results of them moving away from the truth he had already given them in 1 Thessalonians. And when he was there preaching, they moved away from it. And that led to them being shaken and troubled. They needed to hold fast to truth. 
Now, as he's closing this epistle out, he goes into our verse, our text for today, what he desires for them to do. It's almost, you know, this is really true of any pastor, what you're looking at. He's looking at their expectations of them. The truth is, as a pastor, and rightfully so, you have expectations of me. There's biblical expectations you should have of me that I need to meet. But as we see here, there's also expectations a pastor should have of his congregation. Paul goes into here what he desires from them. How he wants to see their growth. He wants to see them strengthened. He wants to see God's work actually working in their life and it changing them. During the years, in, during the uh, uh, 12 years in New Guinea, the hardest thing to deal with wasn't the malaria or dengue fever or any of those things. That was really just, just part of it there. It, it, the hardships weren't really what was difficult. The only thing, for me, I, on my side, I'll submit what was difficult. The most difficult time, hands down, again, was the time when the work was struggling. When going there to preach and there was, it was as if it was falling on deaf ears. I had I'd one good man that had been there almost since the beginning. I'd lost him to the world. He had something else grab his heart. I watched it. I even tried to warn him about it in the months prior. You could see it coming. You can tell when somebody's excited and that excitement begins to wane and something else grabs their heart. And tried to warn him. But it was just, I don't know, a year or so and he was out. It was heartbreaking. Right after that, the very first man I'd led to the Lord. Same thing. Out into the world. Daniel at this time had returned from New Guinea to head to college. Um, and it was, that was hands down the most difficult time because what you want to see is growth. You want to see God's word working. It, it seemed as if that just wasn't taking place. Paul here is, is, is expressing his desire to them, what he wants to see come about in their life. Paul, over and over in his writings, you see his heart desiring for growth. Remember, as we're, going through, as we're going through the book of Acts, as he starts his second missionary journey, it was Paul. They're in Antioch. They, they, they got through the conflict in Acts chapter 15 with the dispute uh, uh, um, about the Gentiles and what was needed with circumcision and the law, and they settled it. You're saved by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. They don't need to be circumcised. They have this great battle. He's back in Antioch. He's teaching to them, and he goes to Barnabas and said, Listen, we need to go see how they're doing. We need to go back into Galatia and see how they're doing. He wanted to know they were growing. He wanted to know it was going all right. And of course, we're looking at as in Paul actually up with Silas. And, and you know, again, Sunday mornings we're going through that. That was always his heart to see that growth taking place. Today in our text, he gives several spiritual things that he wanted to see from them. I put them down as S's right here. Supplication, strength, safety, serving, and steered. Steered by God. So let's look at this. Verse 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have... Uh, uh, excuse me. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. So here is Paul telling them as, he, as he's closing this epistle out, listen, I need, I need you to be praying. I need you to be a praying people. I need you praying for me. As, as we know in Paul's epistles, he was always asking for prayer. He wanted his people to be praying for him. Think about that. Paul was a man of tremendous ability, of intelligence, um, and yet he's always asking God for prayer for help. That was the key to his success. 
I want to quote from one of the pastors or commentator on that very point concerning verses 1 and 2. He said this, Paul was without equal as a gifted, powerful, competent, effective minister. He had immense natural abilities, brilliant, logical, persuasive, educated, trained, religious, spiritually minded, perceptive, experienced. He had it all. But all that natural ability and all that education and all that religious training and all that experience and all that skill, highly developed through the years, was not the source of his great power. It was not the source of his usefulness. It was the power of God at work in him that transcended his natural giftedness, that made him the man that he was for a divine purpose. He himself confesses in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29. You see, Paul knew... He knew that he needed the prayers. There was no way he was going to put faith or confidence in his own flesh. He needed God if he was going to be effective. Paul knew it wasn't me, it was God. And the truth is, I do believe that those who have more natural abilities at it need much more prayer of their people because they're more likely to fall into the trap of leaning upon their own natural abilities, which would just lead to a horrible end. Praying always that they maintain the right perspective with how sinful they are and how they need the perfect God. Today we see many actually not trusting in prayer and God's blessing and ministry and the work of God, but in their own ingenuity, leading to carnal results and many times simply burnout. So much today is accomplished with human plans and schemes and simply not by the Lord and His Word. It's amazing the power of the Word of God, yet the little trust that we tend to put in it. The place of the Word of God is pushed down in priority in in church services throughout the nation, throughout the world right now, in favor of entertainment. I remember seeing that come to pass all the way back in my debutation days. And I don't mind saying the church. It 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 was, and this is back when it was just beginning in an independent fundamental Baptist church near my hometown. I was in Lodi, Ohio at Victory Baptist Church, preaching on a Sunday morning. And service begins, and boy, was that church about entertaining. They just sang and sang special after special. And to be honest, songs, there's no way I'd have sung in church. Oh, and the, people just, the people were, no doubt, entertained. It was sung well. It appealed to the flesh. And I'm just sitting there. It's going past 11.50. Nothing else special for the church. This is a normal Sunday service form. Finally, it's time for the preaching. I was walking up on this side. The pastor walks by me. Whispers in my ear, you got ten minutes. <laughs> Sad. But nobody's putting his trust in the ingenuity. He was going to build his church. He's minimizing the power that's essential for genuine growth to take place, and that's the Word of God. Oh, he might pack it out because he's producing a concert every Sunday, and people like to come and hear that. Then they can soothe their conscience to say that they were in church. (laughs) 
this fellow years ago had said this, and this is this is getting into the Anglican Church, going back to the Church of England, which is amazing because they're so far away today. But thinking about when he said this, he was the Archbishop. He was talking about the pastors. He said, he's probably not the first one to say this, but it's just interesting that he would say it. He saw it was coming. He said, of pastors, it is their task to feed the sheep, not to entertain the goats. You know, that is why we come here, is to feed the sheep. We go out and we reach. Don't get me wrong. You know I present the gospel every single message. But what our services are about, all of them, is feeding our church the word of God. You know, to me, if God's word created the universe, Genesis chapter 1, and sustains it, Hebrews 10, I might be wrong on that. Hebrews, I'll say that. I think it can produce a change in our life. So Paul here asked for prayer. And we can think of the power. Of I mean, prayer right now, we can think of the missionaries. Prayer can take you to a village in New Guinea. Prayer can take you to the nation of Hungary with Brother Pranger. Prayer can take you right where the needs are. So Paul here especially is asking for prayer in two ways. Proclamation of the word and protection for his workers. He asked for prayer for proclamation of the word of God, that God's word may have free course. The word means with no obstruction, that it might be carried abroad with speed. The context, the word is even used at the speed of a racer. That there's nothing hindering it. He wanted the Word of God to do what it could do without it being hindered. Which means there are things that we can do that hinder it. You understand that? There are. I need that prayer. We need that prayer. Pray this, the same for me. That God's Word has free course. Pray for our ministries. I mean, as I was putting this together, I was thinking about, which I rarely bring up that this is the radio ministry. We're on at least 10 different stations right now. Mobile, Alabama, York, Pennsylvania, uh, Bozier City, Shreveport, Louisiana, Richmond, Virginia, including, which is still mind-boggling to me, the fourth largest radio market in the country, San Francisco. Besides the stations here, two or three at least three stations, if not four stations here in Alaska. And not counting those that we've heard that others have picked it up and put it on. Well, I got a letter today. In preparing this, it was this time the email. Email had come through from the uh, general manager of the Christian Broadcasting Group in Alaska. Sent an email, of a, sent a picture of a letter he got in. It was a lady. She gave her age. I think she was 85 years old. She said, I listened to your, the preaching on your radio station. And, and she said, here's who you don't need to remove. <laughs> And uh, she, was, she was nice about it. I'm, I'm it's giving my version. But this is who she didn't want to remove. She said, first, you got this news guy in there that tells it like it is. He's the stay. And then she said, Adrian Rogers, Terry McGovern, and another guy on there. I was like, good for her. I like that. <laughs> and so the general manager thought I'd get a kick out of that. And he sent me that today. 
I mean, just think about that. Pray that God's word has free course. I mean, think, we're a small church here in Anchorage, Alaska. Do you know, if, if, if you go and look on those other ones, Richmond, San Francisco, you're not going to find another church with around 200 people that's on the radio right now. That's not going to be it. And the doors are still open. I've got other requests that we've been asked already to come on. Pray for the ministries. Pray, pray from Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for the Sunday school teachers that God's word would have free course. And I'd like his wording of that would be glorified. So what does he mean by that? I think this is one of my favorite things in studying this. It only takes a second to cover, but I think it was about my favorite thing. Of course, it means to be honored or to appear glorious. Not to appear as if it isn't. But what, the meaning was this. That when he was preaching or when he was teaching, that those hearing it would realize how amazing it is. That it would click. Have you ever been there? Do you remember that in your life when it clicked? When you're hearing it taught or preached or you're reading? And it's just how amazing it is. You know what happened? It appeared glorious. That's when it begins to make. Do you know how many people that never happens? It never actually appears glorious? It's, yeah. Well, I've had the books, you know. I grew up in a Christian home. It's the only book, you know, I've just always had it. Paul prays, I wanted to have free course and that it appears glorious. They would see it how for how great it is. They would see the value in it. And then he asked prayer for the protection of the workers and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. The time of this writing, Paul was writing this from Corinth. This is going to be, um, again, if you remember, you know, we covered this when we started 1 Thessalonians, and we're starting the second missionary journey now where he's going to end up in Philippi. God's going to, once he, he we just covered how he just finished um, re, checking on the, on the churches in Galatia from Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, Derby, Lystra. Now the Lord's going to send him into Europe. Then he goes from there, from Philippi into Thessalonica. Thessalonica, he drops down to Athens, then he goes to Corinth. Well, we can read about what, what, what happens in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. He had a battle on his hands. So he's probably in the midst of a battle when he's writing this. For time's sake, I'm not going to turn there, but that's Acts chapter 18, 9 through 17. I was going to read it. Paul knew, just like they knew of Paul, Paul knew what it was like to be persecuted, to face trials, to have evil and wicked men after him. He knew suffering. He knew hardship. He knew what it was like to face danger constantly. He wasn't flying around on his own private jet telling people that God just wants you to be rich. The word unreasonable, I really like that when you look it up. There's a, another word you can use for it, absurd. <laughs> Saying these people are just absurd. And really it is. 
So Paul knew as he goes forth preaching the word of God, there's going to be battles. There will be those who oppose. The devil will fight hard. The more God's word is preached, the more the devil's going to fight. So you pray for protection. We live in a day like no other, like we have not known. I think we can relate to this more and more as the years are passing by in the last ten years of the importance of praying uh, uh, for protection from unreasonable and wicked men for all have not the faith. I mean, uh, right nowadays, if people get mad before, they would just get up and leave the church. Maybe something break out into a fist fight. Nowadays, you'll just bring a gun in and start shooting up the place. He goes on in verse 3. I'm going to put two and three together here, strength and safety. He says, but the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. He wanted them to be established. He wanted them to be safe. He wanted them strong spiritually to grow up, to go from milk to the meat of the word, to be strong in the faith in order to glorify God and not self. He wanted them safe from evil. And many had pointed out in the commentaries based on the wording of this, uh, of this text that it's specifically even talking about Satan. But we need the help and protection of the one who can actually protect us. I mean, we, we use a lot of wisdom here. Mike Moffat can never leave this church. I mean, the wisdom he put together, security things in place here and whatnot is amazing. But our ultimate protection is the Lord. One of my favorite, one of my favorite occurrences in the Bible is in 2 Kings chapter 6, if I remember right. Elisha, when the Syrian army, I just mentioned it here, when the Syrian army is sent after him, and the army is approaching, and, and he's just... To use modern vernacular, he's just chilling. He's fine. He's good to go. His servant's panicking. Hello! (laughs) We're getting ready to be taken. We're good. And in verse 18, he says, Lord, I pray thee, open the young man's eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots round about Elisha. Elijah never saw him. But he knew God was protecting and then that's when Elijah's, you know, he speaks, they're all blinded. <laughs> and he leads his army back to him, all blinded. It's just incredible. Our protection is of the Lord. So Paul says, listen, pray for protection. But one thing I want to point out about this verse is we don't want to miss those first couple of words. But the Lord is faithful. He is. He's the one faithful, as he points out, or to strengthen you, to help protect you. Listen, if, if, if there's a reason why you're not being strengthened in the Lord, it's not the Lord's fault. He's faithful to get it done. I mean, we can think of how God is faithful to His promises, to His purposes. He can be confided in. He'll never let us down. It, when, when men over and over tend to let us down or cold, unkind, whatever, we can always go to the Lord. Lamentations 3.23, great is His faithfulness. God is faithful in regards to creation. His promises, Deuteronomy 7, salvation, 1 Thessalonians 5, temptation, 1 Corinthians 10.13, suffering, 1 Peter 4.19. Over and over and over, faithful to strengthen, to protect, Ephesians 6. God is very faithful. 
So in other words, don't place confidence in yourself in regards to your spiritual strength or your safety. You will fail. Ask Peter. He thought he could handle it. He was wrong. Or on the successful side, ask Moses, standing before the Red Sea. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses never trusted it himself for the protection from Pharaoh's army of what was taking place. Next, we see serving, verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that you both do and will do things which we command you. He's speaking, of course, of the scripture of God's word that's been preached, that they would obey it. He wanted them to obey what they heard from God's word. It wasn't just about somebody standing up to do a nice presentation or give a nice little speech or listen to someone speak. It was teaching and preaching to change their lives. Something to follow, something to do. Teaching them to serve the Lord. Just like when we come in here, we have these services, it's to apply it to our life. And then final here this evening, and and this of the directions given that we have was the one that grabbed me the most. He said this in verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. So the S that I put here was to be steered by God. He said, and the Lord direct your hearts. He wanted their hearts to be directed, steered by God. The word directed here has the meaning of opening a path and removing hindrances so you can go in a good direction. It's something we all need. The Lord to remove the hindrances, those things that are hurting us and causing problems and provide good direction to our life. Man, this is so, this verse is so key for our life. If you had to define right now and actually meditate upon it, what is directing your heart? What's steering you? Paul's praying that what would direct their heart, what would steer them in life, would be the Lord. Who has your heart? He prayed that their heart would be directed in two areas. Love for God and patience in waiting for the Lord's return. I mean, think about that. He is actually giving the two great motivations for the Christian life. Love for God and the return of Christ. Now, the wording is incredible in the Word of God, especially everywhere. But in this statement, let me show you something. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. It's, it's almost as if there's a little bit of ambiguity as to which of the meaning he's going at. And that's clearly exactly how God wanted it. Let, let me show, or, or, or to give multiple meanings, if you will. Because this really does carry, within the structure of it, two meanings simultaneously about God's love. Let me read from one commentator who can explain it better than I could. This is from Lightfoot. He said this, The apostles availed themselves, either consciously or unconsciously, of the vagueness or rather comprehensiveness of language to express a great spiritual truth. 
and that both meanings are so combined and interwoven that it is very seldom possible where the expression occurs to separate the one from the other. This is true of this verse. For you technicians, that, uh, that's the objective and subjective uh, genitive. And when you look at it, you, can, you can't tell the difference in the original language, and we feel that's because they're both there. Both meanings are present. What I want to stress is the idea of the love of God, is that he wants them to love God. That's what it's all about. He's praying that their heart will be controlled, be directed by God into this area. I mean, let's face it, that's where genuine spiritual growth lies. This is what it's all about. I mean, the greatest command we have to love God with all that we have. And so he's praying, listen, he says, you need to, be, you need to have your heart directed by God. Especially in these two areas. One is dealing with his love. I mean, if you're missing that in the Christian life, it has to be really difficult to actually live. Do you know how burdensome everything would get? Because that that means there's an element of your flesh and you're trying to live a Christian life in it. That's going to get old. You're going to want to get burned out. Sundays are going to get pretty rough. uh, Is he going to shut up? It's, It's... it's 7.59 right now. You've got 60 seconds to be done or I'm, I'm out of here. Kyla already left. She was done. She left at 7.58. <laughs> but if there is no passion for the Lord, that's going to be difficult serving. There's no passion. All of a sudden it comes up on that church cleaning schedule. You go into that men's bathroom. Oh my goodness. Do these people do nothing with their children? See, that's the only reason I became a pastor, so I don't have to clean the bathrooms. No, I'm just kidding. I would still do it today. But no, Paul knew the importance of the motivation behind everything being their love for God. And then he also concludes with this, and into, he wanted the Lord to direct their hearts also into the patient waiting for Christ. Now, as a side note to this, I will be probably later on this year, maybe as soon as I finish up with the Israel stuff, going on to a a series on the King James Version, the Texas Receptus, and and whatnot. And this is really a good verse for an objective of that here. really is. Because I was reading through the commentaries, uh, not all of them, but some, well, several of them, I will say that. I wanted to laugh, because they would go to a raw manuscript line and say, really, according to this set of manuscripts, this should just be talking about not patiently waiting for the return of Christ, but just patience. I'm thinking, uh, and really at one point I had to laugh. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Do you realize the book you're in? Do you realize the problems they're having? What's the main focus of the book? The return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it wasn't all of them, but several of them were. Those that went off on those 
other manuscripts, that's where they went off here. So they missed the actual meaning of what's written right here. But they had struggled with it. They thought they missed it. And he tells them, be patient. He's coming. Just be patient. Within that word patient, it carries a lot, doesn't it? It means stay with it. Don't quit. Don't quit. I mean, again, he's dealing with the ultimate motivations for why we serve God. To love God and the fact that the Lord is returning. I mean, and we are 2,000 years closer than what the church of Thessalonica was. 2,000 years. And we are literally seeing things right now in our lifetime like no other generation ever has in the world setting up for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not even close. I mean, I remember back in the 70s and what the 80s when I was learning about the 70s in regards to the return of Christ, what was going on. When everybody thought, boy, this is it. We're really sitting up here in the 80s for it. No, we weren't. Not even close. Now? Wow. There's no question. There's no question. I don't know when he's going to go. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to set a date. I'm not going to do that. We're going to stay faithful every day, patiently waiting for the return of Christ. But nonetheless, I will be shocked if we are not the generation that experiences the rapture. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. That's what it's all about. What is it that has your heart? What is steering your heart? With heads bowed and eyes closed.